I decided it was time to leave. I, I just had it, had enough. I actually got thrown in the back of a cop car one night uh, because the police, uh, the police came in and threw two of my customers up against the wall and I started screaming and thre- threatening them. Uh, and they cuffed me and threw me in the back of a car because they didn't believe I was the owner of the place. Because uh, I was pretty young too. I think I was, I don't know how old I was, 20, 21 at the time, 22, um, maybe even 23. Uh, but they didn't believe me. I dressed like I was 16 years old. So they, they said, screw this guy. We're going to get to the bottom of it. All right. All right. And welcome to the Started Somewhere podcast. I'm your host, Ross Alex. And today, my friends, we're on episode number 38. Now, listen, I know that there's been a little break in the episodes since the last one, but we're back in full effect. I have a ton of interviews lined up. If you're brand new to the show, make sure to go watch some previous episodes. But today, my friends, I have Ryan DeGenero joining us all the way from Houston, Texas. Now, Ryan is a serial entrepreneur. We've been connected since about 2015, and I've watched this guy's hustle. He is all about building business and making things happen. You see, Ryan is a business broker, a real estate investor, and an inspiration to many. He got started way back when, when he was about 15 years old, and he's been at it ever since. In this episode, Ryan shares with us his ups, his downs, his challenges, and of course, the juicy stuff. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, Ryan, welcome to the show, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, Ross. Dude, absolute pleasure to have you on, bro. We've been connected, I think going back to like 2015, man. Kickball days. Yes, bro. Good times, <laughs> man. Dude, I don't I don't remember how exactly I got involved in that, but man, that was fun, bro. It was. That was. We were probably the worst kickball team on that field, but we had a good time. We were, bro. We had we had fun though, man. That was definitely good times, man. Dude, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show, man. This is started somewhere where we dive into your story, how you got to where you are today, man. You're somebody that I have a lot of respect for in the entrepreneurial space and the business space, you. man. You've always been killing it. You've always been a hustler. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to share your story, man. So for the listeners out there that don't know who you are and what you do, would you mind to just give us like a brief overview? Sure, sure. My name, uh, my name again is Ryan DeGenero. I run a commercial real estate company called Core Group. Um, we specialize in both leasing and sales of uh, commercial retail assets, mostly shopping centers, and we do some industrial work on sales and leasing as well. Uh, I'm also a business broker. We're certified business brokers. I've been there since 2005, so this is uh, my 15th year practicing business brokerage. Uh, for, for what that is, for those of you who don't know, is effectively working like a real estate agent for people that own businesses. Uh, and most businesses don't own the real estate that they operate out of. So whenever they need to sell, it's kind of a specialized real estate agent that handles uh, non-real property assets. Uh, so that that's effectively what I'm up to these days. Mm. And, and that would be selling like the intellectual property and the equipment and the furniture and, and whatnot, right? In like a business. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. There's not a lot of IP on the smaller things. I'm talking about something along the lines of like the subway that's at your local, uh, you know, strip center down the street from you 
most of those people just just lease that space out but uh those businesses do change hands in the background it's usually a little hush hush uh, but a lot of people do end up selling their businesses without ever owning real estate and that's mm. that's the focus is just like that just selling equipment and employees and that kind of thing right you know i've always wondered how small businesses especially like mom and pop spots get valued right? yeah so it's uh it's a little complicated but not really uh it works a lot like a shopping center i'm sure you've looked at uh, shopping centers or other commercial investments that work on a cap rate uh you know i would say without getting too specific a lot of a lot of uh stuff that's sold that's real estate is sold around a 10 cap which means about a 10 percent return on your money uh, most small businesses that are under a million bucks work the same way. Uh, we take a look at their financials. We try to see, you know, what's on the bottom line for an investor whenever they go to buy that asset. Uh, so very roughly, most small and uh, mom and pop businesses, uh, again, that are under a million bucks, are about two times the net cash flow for the year. So mm. if somebody's making uh, fifty grand a year out of their business, it's probably worth somewhere around a hundred thousand, give or take. Uh, there's a lot of uh, intricacies to that you know if they're reporting everything on their tax return if uh um, you know if, if their financials are clean if they have 14 family members working in the business it's a little different than if you have a you know a nice management structure and the owner's not in there so a lot of uh, little things to account for but that's a good rule of thumb now with everything going on bro with corona <laughs> 2020's just been a real fucked up year lately man sure but, has <laughs> uh I'm curious to know your thoughts, man, on, and I reached out to you off, you know, off the podcast because I've been interested in opening up a business of my own, um, you know, and you provided some insight, man. But for the listeners out there, like, what, what, what's your, what are your thoughts, man? Like, what's happening here, right? You got these big box retailers going out, right? Companies that have been around for 20, 30 years, like restaurants they're they're going out they they didn't survive and, and, and but i still see places opening up like down the street from me a jersey mike's just opened up the other day and, and the joint chiropractic just opened up so i mean yep. what, what what's going on here bro what are your thoughts well you know i'm, I'm no market expert uh, i have i have my guesses and i think my guesses are what's what's going to happen in the future is that we're kind of sealing the fate for a lot of mom and pops uh, the mom and pop businesses, for the most part, operate on razor thin margins. Uh, you know, the ones that have been around forever are almost somewhat lucky. If you consider that, you know, 90 percent of people who start a restaurant fail uh, within the first three years, it's some crazy statistic like that. So even the ones that make it that are mom and pops, um, you know, God bless them. They have through a lot to get there. Uh, these these large, huge, you know, uh, national chains. Um, you know, I think they're going to survive this. Uh, it may be not a good scenario for them because most, at least if we're talking restaurants, they, they can't make a profit at 50% capacity. And that's effectively, at least in Texas, what they're limited to is a 50% capacity. I don't think there's any restaurants out there that are really turning money on a 50% capacity. Uh, so what that means, the name of the game right now is survival. Uh, and these big brands like Chili's, I don't, I don't know about you, man. I don't remember the last time I went to a Chili's. Uh, but you're not going to see them close. They're still going to stay around because they're very well capitalized or, or you know, they're, they're traded on the stock market. They have investor money behind them. Uh, your, your average mom and pop who's frying chicken wings, I mean, they can only last so long on, on 50% capacity. They can even make it till then. Uh, and unfortunately, that's what I've seen for with a lot of my, you know, mom and pop type restaurant operators is that if they don't have money in the bank, which a lot of them, a lot of the time just can't afford to do that, that's it. 
you can't mm. you can't make it. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, I, I do do some leasing and I'm finding right now that there's plenty of people out there that are looking for space. Uh, the issue really is, is the space appropriate for the times? There's a there's a restaurant that was open in, in the Heights called Presidio. Uh, and it, it didn't last very long. Maybe you've heard the name, but uh, it caught fire, mysteriously caught fire uh, when they were failing. And it's been a really messed up building since then. They haven't been able to lease it for years. Uh, part of the problem was it was all outdoor space. You had two or three huge patios and a huge parking lot. And I think maybe they only had three or 4,000 feet inside, uh, which really isn't a lot. So I've been, I've been after this location for a client who wanted to get the price way down and never got there. And we thought we'd follow up with them last week to see what happened. Well, they got an LOI really shortly after all of this hit. Uh, we couldn't understand why because they wanted some outrageous number. I think it was $16,000 a month for the parking lot in a three or 4,000 square foot interior space. Didn't make any sense. The reason it worked is because it was all patio space now. And you can you can put a lot of people outdoors and they'll mm. feel comfortable with it, with everything going on, right? Uh, you know, a year ago, that didn't make any sense, but apparently that got scooped up. So there's people out there with money. I think there's a lot of a lot of money on the sidelines. It's looking to go somewhere. Um, the reason I like commercial real estate so much is even in these down markets, it trades hands. Uh, and it's, there's going to be a lot of movement in the next years. I, I don't know who's going to survive and who won't, uh, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of movement back and forth. But mm. I think, uh, you know, from what I'm seeing, the mom and pops are in a lot of trouble, at least the undercapitalized ones. Um, some of them will make it, but a lot of them won't. Mm. A lot of them won't. Dude, great insight, man. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to make sure that our cities aren't turning into these like abandoned wastelands, right? Like you see in the <laughs> movies, like all these places are out of business because so in my hometown, man, there's this huge mall, right? It's called the Palisades Mall. And this place is like one of the ugliest malls you've ever seen. It's like it's like Galleria, but, it, you know, size wise, but it's just mm-hmm. ugly. And they have all these tenants, like, you know, the big box ones, JCPenney, Macy's, Lord & Taylor, Bed Bath Beyond, whatever. Dude, all these places are going out, right? They're like four-level department stores. Like, what could possibly replace that, right? You walk into a mall, and half the mall is closed because the places are out of business. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Well, you know, I had I had a lot of bets against um, the mall REITs. So, you know, publicly traded uh, REITs uh, that you can buy and sell in the stock market. I had a lot of bets against them and it actually went upside down on me, uh, surprisingly, that those those guys are doing better than to be expected right now. And I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Mm. Uh, but there, there's been some um, some news about Simon Property Group, which is the biggest one. That's the one that owns the Galleria. And, and arguably probably the, the highest quality assets that you could have as a mall operator or the ones that Simon has. Uh, but there's been a lot of talks um, of them repurposing their space into Amazon fulfillment centers. And I think a lot of, a lot of the industrial space that's out there is skyrocketing right now for the same reason. You know, people, mm. people are cognizant of the fact that, uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to go to the mall as much. They're not going to go to enclosed place, spaces with other people if they can avoid it. So, the industrial sector is taking off as a result, but uh, the mall operators are actually getting a boost in the stock market because somebody put two and two together and said, hey, we can use this space uh, for something that's fueling the the death of itself, if that makes sense, right? Amazon mm. is taking over the malls. They're taking that business anyway. So if wow. they can take over that space, they just kind of 
kick the malls right out of it, but it's still good use of the space. Uh, and what else is very interesting that I think is saving this stock is Simon Property Group has bid for the assets at JCPenney, which is weird because it's, it's like your landlord buying you out. Uh, and I imagine it's probably going to be a good deal for them, right? But uh, if they take over that JCPenney space and they do okay with it, then they may do all right. Uh, especially if they can buy buy those companies and turn it into an Amazon fulfillment center, you know, it, it's not such a gloom and doom picture for them anymore. No kidding! Wow, man. Yeah. You know, Jeff Bezos beat the game, bro. He, beat, he sure did. He beat Jesus. the game, bro. The guy, the guy's, the guy's a monster. I mean, dude, in the last six months, I've had more Amazon fucking boxes show up to my doorstep than ever before. It's like every day I'm, I'm, I'm ordering paper towels on Amazon now, or I don't even care about going to the store anymore, man. It's just too easy, right? It's wild. It's God crazy. bless him, though. His net worth only went up like $50 billion in the last year. That's I know. Or Bezos. Dude, I saw something about his wife, man, that she donated like $5 billion. And then made it back like the next day. I don't know the exact number, but it was like, imagine that, man. Unbelievable, man. Um, so, Ryan, you, you, you're doing a lot of things, man. You, you, you're a business broker. You do a bunch of stuff in the real estate world. I know that you're also a landlord of your own, right? You have a rental right. portfolio. And right. uh, tell us about that a little bit, man. Are you just buying single family rentals or multifamily? What does that look like? So definitely I'll answer that question with saying I'm not a multifamily guy. Um, I, I just wanted to get away from that pack. Whenever it took off a few years ago, people were paying outrageous money, even back then. And I just decided I don't want to compete with, with those people that can pay way more than me. So I've never really touched multifamily. Uh, but what I've been doing recently, um, I opened an opportunity zone fund uh, for my daughter, uh, I don't know, a few days after she was born. And that's really been my focus for my personal investment. Um, for anybody on the on the on the call who doesn't know what an OZ fund is, it's a uh, say IRS. I don't know what they call it—a law or a bill or something they pass. That's that's really an investment vehicle for people to buy in uh, census tracts that are considered uh, you know poverty zones or you know undeveloped or underdeveloped areas. But they did this based on like a 2011 census uh, that was pretty old by the time the actual bill came out and was approved. So they have some of these census tracts that are in pretty good areas. And the one I work really hard is a zip code uh, 77009, uh, where there's still four or $500,000 houses being sold in that area all the time. Mm. Um, but because it was done so long ago, um, you know, they, they, the prices weren't there five years ago. Right. So uh, that's, that's where I spend most of my time. I look, I buy almost anything that I can find that makes, you know, dollars and cents. I just yeah. finished up a rehab over there that was a duplex. I know that's multifamily, but. Um, you know, not not quite the same game as buying 50 doors. Uh, right. I have a couple commercial investments over there as well. I've got a couple warehouses. I've got some land. So I just kind of buy anything I think I can make money out of. But one mistake I made early on was buying a bunch of stuff that would make money that didn't cash flow. Uh, and I'm finally just getting out from under some of that stuff that mm. I bought a few years ago. One that I've owned for three or four years that wasn't making any money. And I finally got out of and I made a profit. Uh, but, you know, three or four years with no cash flow in, a, in an investment kind of sucks. So. I hear you on that, man. I know that that zip code well, bro. Yeah. Seven seven zero zero nine, right? That's where Kern is at, right? Kern Archer, over there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I was building a lot on the other side of the freeway, on the left side of forty five, uh, which actually isn't in this area uh, to to be specific. But some of seven seven zero nine is on the other side of the freeway. 
Uh, Curtis and I were building a lot of houses over there. I still have one more left, uh, but that's it for me. I don't, uh, I don't have the heart to keep going. Mm. But there's, there's going to be, like I mentioned, there's going to be a lot of changes. Uh, real estate's through the roof right now, but I don't, I don't have faith that that's going to last forever. So. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible area though for the listeners that aren't from Houston and know what we're talking about. So we're talking about the Houston Heights, right? It's this area that years ago was not nice, like at all. I don't know how long ago because, you know, I haven't lived in Houston my whole life, but you drive that area now and you see these like beautiful, just unbelievable houses. But there'll still be that one house that's on the shittier side that hasn't been, you know, brought up to 2020 standards. And it's just a lot of those. Yeah, a lot lot of them, right? (laughs) So it's like million dollar house, shitty house, million dollar house, (laughs) shitty house. So it's just like the the growth in that area, man. It's just it's super cool to see. Um, Ryan, I want to I want to switch gears here, man. I want to I want to talk about. You know, how you got into all of this, man, because the show is called Started Somewhere, right? And and I really want to share with people kind of like your journey. So if we could go back to, let's say, your high school senior year, like, did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Did you always know that you were going to be in real estate? Like, you know, what, what did that look like for you? Sure, sure. Well, real estate something that probably happened later on. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a dad who was a business owner in a very small business. Uh, I actually have his, I think his first or his second tax return that he filed when he owned his business. And it was, it was marginal to say the least. I don't know how he paid the bills. Um, But he, he put that spirit in me that said, Hey, look, you don't have to deal with anyone's bullshit. You can go out and do this on your own. Maybe you'll make the money. Maybe you won't, but you can do it your way. And he taught me that at a very, very young age. Um, I think probably the first memory I have of being an entrepreneur was uh, maybe 14, 15, maybe even younger than that, 13 years old. Uh, I was always really into computers and I thought my my life path would take me down some avenue that had to do with computers, whether building them or being a software guy or something. That was always my passion. Um, I guess it was maybe around 14. I I started, I was around the time I got my cell phone. My dad bought me a cell phone. And all of my dad's other entrepreneur friends um, had computers, but I don't think at the time really anybody knew, you know, how to work them or if something wasn't working, they didn't know what to do. And they didn't have Geek Squad. They didn't have any of these things back then. I mean, they still had Yellow Pages. And I don't even know if the Internet was really big at that point. But you had to you had to just go find some computer guy through through a random person. Uh, there, There just wasn't a lot of that stuff out there. So my dad kept giving my phone number to people that he knew to, to fix their computer. And it got to be really annoying to where all his friends were calling me all the time. Hey, Ryan, come fix my computer. What do I do? And at the time, these are 60 year old men calling me, which is creepy enough, but uh, it got to the point where I said, Hey, you know, like if I'm going to come out there, I'm going to charge you for it. Cause I got to ride my bike down 1960, which is a death wish in itself. You better pay me if you want me to come over there and fix your computer. So I guess, uh, you know, maybe after two or three months of that, I found that I had all these customers that were paying me. And they were all paying me cash because, you know, I was so young, but I was I was able to fix their problem. And I think that that was the turning point for me to see, hey, if I can just fix other people's problems, I can make money, mm. a lot of money, as much as I want to make or as much time as I want to put into it. So that was really my first venture was I started a little computer repair business and I literally rode my bikes uh, to all my clients' houses and fixed them. And by the time I was, I think, 15 and a half, I got my driver's license and I was able to buy my, my first car in cash with that money. 
and at 15 and a half, you know, I was, I was six months early to the game. Nobody got a license until they were 16 at the time. Uh, but I got my uh, hardship license because I had a job. So it was, it was a pretty cool experience to, to, to be able to do that. And I think that's what led me down the, the path of entrepreneurship. Uh, I always had a bunch of little side hustles. The computer business didn't last very long, but, um, well, why is that? Patience is probably something I never had a lot of. Um, it got to be very taxing by the time, you know, I had 10 different people that wanted something. Um, a lot of the times with computers and business owners, you know, I don't think it's any different today. People want something, they want it right now. Uh, and I had school. I mean, I was still in school, still in high school. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a dropout or anything. So mm -hmm. I had things to do. I had family responsibilities and riding my bike to places probably wasn't effective, even though I got the job done, getting there was very tough. Uh, so a lot of challenges got in the way. And I mean, damn, man, when you're 16, you have other priorities too. I mean, 30 bucks when you're 16 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just kind of fell to the background, although I started doing other things to make money. I mean, I, I bought and sold stuff. I literally used to go buy open box stuff from Circuit City and put it on eBay and make more money doing that. So I found little places. Arbitrage, I guess, kind of became my business at that point. Uh, and instead of, uh, you know, going out and doing hard labor, I found other ways I could buy something cheap and resell it. Um, and effectively, maybe that's what got me into real estate. Uh, ultimately, it was just being so good at, at being able to talk somebody into buying something in a low number and being able to talk somebody else into buying in a high number. Mm. I think that's something that I've perfected over my lifetime. Um, Dude, arbitrage think, is awesome, bro. That's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, man. there's Arbit not a lot to it, you know? <laughs> Arbitrage is awesome, man. But, but go ahead, man. I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. And, and I think I think by the time I, I was I was ready to really make something serious of being an entrepreneur, it was by the time I got to college. Uh, I went to U of H, go Cougs. Um, I really had no clue what I wanted to do until I got into, I don't know, maybe my third year of college and I was accepted to the entrepreneurship program there, which is now, I think, number one, at least number one in the U.S., if not in the world. Uh, it's really an incredible program. Uh, I was lucky to get in, especially not without having a lot of direction, but I think I was a good fit for the program because of everything that I did when I was younger. Um, the entrepreneurship program really teaches you how to be a business owner. It's frankly probably a worthless degree because uh, nobody will ever give you a job for it, but the, the life skills I got out of it were amazing. Um, and I think that's what really pushed me into to really making a good go of starting my own business. Um, the, the program they have is, is just wild. I mean, it's improved tenfold since then. They teach you how to look at a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement and understand it, how to create a business plan, how to network, like all the stuff that really colleges should have been teaching. They should be teaching everybody that's in a business school. Um, but it's it's just incredible because the teachers are, are, I don't know if they're all millionaires, but they're all very successful people. Mm. Um, all of them have accomplished really major things in their life. And not to knock any teachers out there, but there's a big difference between people who are there because they want to see you succeed versus people that are there because they want to teach uh, or they, they, they're doing it for money or for a paycheck. None of my teachers in that program were there for the paycheck and it showed. Right. Um, and I think that that was really the, the boost that, that decided for me that, hey, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to make a good go of it. Uh, even then though, I still didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to own my own business. Mm. Uh, and I tried a few different things after that. I started, uh, I started an automotive business. I started a bunch of stuff, um, that really frankly didn't work out that well after I graduated. Um, 
So what, what, one thing that I did do, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I just wanted to ask what, what type of auto, like a repair shop or. Yeah. Or car so, well, or? no, it was, uh, I, it was car stereos. I, I was doing installation of car stereos for a lot of friends. Um, I, you know, I think I was so desperate to figure something out that I did a lot of the, the things that were preemptive to starting a business without knowing what I wanted to do. I went and got a sales tax permit without knowing what the hell I was going to buy. Um, I did a lot. I just tried to copy what a lot of the other entrepreneurs around me were doing without really having a goal in mind. And I think that's what led me into going into something that I ultimately didn't work is because I didn't have a concise plan for what I wanted to do. Mm, uh, so okay. I got that sales tax permit and I found a way that I could buy, you know, amps and speakers for, I don't know, like a 15% discount. I think the guy on the other end of this on the wholesale side was making all the money, but yeah. I thought if I could make 10%, I'm crushing it. And that was, okay. that was not true. Sweet, man. <laughs> so you start the, you, you start the automotive business. Obviously, you're not doing that now, so yeah. it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, and then what happened? Well, so I I decided to go the easy route. Uh, again, God bless my parents for believing in me. They, they were willing to fund ventures for me that they thought made sense. Uh, so I bought a 2000, I think it was, it was 2004. Uh, I bought a failing coffee shop in the Cypress area. It was on 529 and... I think 529 in Barker, Cyprus, um, turned it into a, it's still remaining a coffee shop, but they had some dead space next door. If you can imagine like what an L shaped shopping center looks like about the most worthless part of that shopping center is right where the L is because it's kind of hidden. You can't really see a sign from anywhere, but there's always in those spaces, there's usually almost always either a commons area, which is an open space or they enclose it. So they had the space there that they couldn't lease for years and years and years. It was right next door. Uh, so we opened a music venue right next door. But the music venue was specialized for high school kids. So we were targeting we were targeting high school kids because there was a high school right across the street. It was just an easy, easy shot in the bucket. Um, but if you think about it, you know, when you're 17, 18, 19, even call it 16, uh, most of the time your parents will give you a little gravity in what you what you can do, but you can't go to a bar. You know, you can't go to a lot of the places that the 21 year olds hang out. Uh, so we had this idea where, hey, you know, let's open this music venue. Uh, we'll target high school kids, um, but we will go after really the bands. So we started marketing to the bands that also had a bunch of following. But again, it was the 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old following that can't get into a lot of the other bars. So you'd be surprised how, how big of a following that a band full of 18 year olds, 17 year olds, 16 year olds, how many people they bring behind them. Mm. So we started doing concerts and we left the coffee shop open, but we left the coffee shop open because 17 year olds can't drink beers. Uh, but I tell you what, a 17 year old will drink five Red Bulls. Uh, so we sold them Red Bulls at four bucks a piece and they ate them up and it was a ridiculous premium. But, um, you know, we, we did that because we knew they would pay it if they were sitting there and watching a band all night. They wanted to drink something or do something. They weren't going to just stand there. So we sold them coffee. Uh, but we also charged them five or six bucks to walk in the concert. So a lot of the times we'd have bands that would bring in 100, 125, 150 people. Uh, we charge them five bucks to get in. And there was usually, you know, three to five bands there that they could watch. So we were getting, you know, good money for bringing people in. It was hit or miss with the bands, but um, we, we definitely brought a lot of people in. So that, that was a cool little venture, and I did it for a while. But what I realized after about a year was uh, 100, 
16 year olds in a 2000 square foot space is wild. It mm. is fucking wild. Um, and we had several incidents with police. We had incidents with the landlord. We had confrontations with our neighbors. Uh, and it was a cool time in my life, but I was happy to be out of it. Mm. Really happy to be out of it. So that, that kind of leads me into, I guess, how I got to where I'm at. Uh, I decided it was time to leave. I, I just had it, had enough. I actually got thrown in the back of a cop car one night uh, because the police uh, the police came in and threw two of my customers up against the wall and I started screaming and thre- threatening them. Uh, and they cuffed me and threw me in the back of a car because they didn't believe I was the owner of the place. Because uh, I was pretty young too. I think I was, I don't know how old I was, 20, 21 at the time, 22, um, maybe even 23. Uh, but they didn't believe me. I dressed like I was 16 years old. So they, they said, screw this guy. We're going to get to the bottom of it. My manager came out who was 10 years older than me and convinced them, hey, I was the owner. But I'd kind of had enough at that point. I was a college graduate and, um, you know, ending up in the back of a cop car over a business that, you know, didn't exactly make me a millionaire. I had had enough. So I listed it with a business broker, somebody like myself, and we sold it pretty pretty shortly after we listed it. And I'm sitting at the closing table and a broker says, hey, Ryan, what are you going to do after this? His name is Don Piercy. I said, Don, you know, I don't I don't really have a clue, man. He said, hey, why don't you uh, why don't you come work for us? I said, OK, I'll give it a shot. And that was uh, to end of 2004, maybe the beginning of 2005. Uh, and I have been with that company since then. I am still with them uh, today. Uh, and it's been a wild journey in between. Uh, but that's that's really what kind of at least got me into real estate and into being like a real broker, I guess, so to speak. Hmm. No shit, man. So. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to visualize this. Right. So so you, you buy this coffee shop. Now we're talking about a strip mm-hmm. center here, right? Yeah. 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 So you you rent out one of the spaces and turn it into a concert venue. Right. So you got the coffee. Man, it, was shop. A, it was a bl- yeah. It was a black box, black spray painted box yeah. with lights and a stage, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but so we're talking two thousand square feet. You turn, you have this idea. You turn it into this coffee, uh, this this music concert, mm-hmm. fucking whatever <laughs> hall, and now you're, you're you're making money. But man, hundred to hundred and fifty people. In a two thousand square foot space, holy smokes! We're talking. Well, like- to, to 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 be fair, it was a two thousand square foot coffee shop, and we rented an additional two thousand square feet next door. Right. So we had four thousand total space, but most of the time, all the kids were in the concert side. You know, so we still had some space off to the other side. Now, but now, yeah. Did you take the wall down or no, was it like no. you had to go in and out? You had to go in and out. So okay. you could come in and drink a coffee while there was a show going on, but you couldn't watch the show unless you paid to get in. Right, right, right. But, but if we had 150 people there, 140 of them were in that side room. Yeah, but but man, still, that's a, that's a lot of people, man. You're abs- You're right, bro. Uh, we're all 16 once, right? You know the yes. deal. You know the <laughs> deal, man. Time, yeah. <laughs> wow, man. So, so you had you you got arrested uh, or got back thrown in a cop car. You're like, I'm I'm out of this game. Um, and then you decide to sell the business. Now, how long did it take you to actually get a buyer for that coffee shop? So, what was interesting? It actually didn't take very long. Um, the there was a buyer that was interested in that coffee shop before I came along. It just wasn't a music venue in a coffee shop at mm. that time when she was looking at it. 
So she already had her eyes on it. Um, she had a different vision for it than I had, but she still believed in the concept, especially after I changed it. So I, I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was probably only three months start to finish from when I listed it till we sold it, which is even today, pretty quick. Yeah. I don't do too many deals in 90 days. Um, but yeah, it didn't take very long, but I was lucky enough that there was somebody out there who, who believed in it and thought it was a good idea. Right. Unfortunately for her, the tweaks that she wanted to make destroyed it. Uh, and I don't think it lasted very long after I, I made an exit. Mm. Um, but it, it didn't take very long to sell. It, it was an attractive business. You know, what's weird is a lot of the very popular businesses that, that I sell are attractive, but not really the best money-making ventures. I think the, a lot of the people who aren't in business see bright, shiny objects and think that they're a lot more fun than they really are and gravitate towards those. And this was one of those mm. bright, shiny objects. Right. You know, you, you look at it, and you don't you don't really think about what it's like to manage 150 16 year olds because it's fucking terrible it's terrible <laughs> but you hear oh, concert man. and you're in a coffee shop you know yeah. it's like oh that sounds like a lot of fun right um, it, it was fun but not not <laughs> not as much as you would think you know i'm 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 curious and i i, I i'm infatuated by this coffee shop and concert hall so i'm, I'm curious man when you opened up this coffee shop, right? It, you said it was it was already a coffee shop. It was underperforming. Yeah, so right? I bought the coffee shop. Right. Yeah, it was there. Now, I mean, how does one just get into the coffee business? Like, how did did they train you? Like, how how did you know what to make? How did you know the procedures? And I mean, you know, Man. I know how to use a coffee maker, but. I'd probably fall on my face if I try to open or, you know, run. I tell you, I tell you what, man, at the the time I didn't even like coffee. I didn't even like coffee. So it was, God bless my dad's soul in heaven. He must've really trusted me for for lending me this money. Uh, But I I didn't, I didn't know, man, we got into it and I've always been the type to just say, I'm going to figure this shit out. Mm. Uh, But at the time I, I didn't drink coffee at all. So I didn't even know, you know, I'd had coffee maybe twice in my life and it tasted like, like roasted shit to me. So uh, I was very lucky to have uh, one of the reasons that I did buy it is there was a manager there who, I don't know. I don't know if he just couldn't get another job or he was lazy or what. Cause he, he worked like 12 or 14 hour days for me. And he really wasn't paid that well. Mm. Um, but that was one of the reasons I bought it is because this guy was effectively doing almost everything and not paid very much, but I met him before we bought it. He wanted to stay there. So uh, I was, I was, I guess either lucky or smart enough to, to do my due diligence and understand that there were a lot of people there who knew how to do it. And my goal ultimately wasn't to, to actually be standing behind a coffee machine. Mm. Uh, I did end up spending way more time there than I had ever planned on uh, just being an on-site manager, again, babysitting all these kids. Um, but I, I had no clue what I was doing with regards to selling coffee. I had a vision for it that we could do something different with the, concerts and make something out of that and it would ultimately propel the other side of it uh, it didn't really propel it by any means but it, it, it paid the bills and i made money on the concerts you know that's that's where i took home my money right um, but you know i think that's important for anybody buying a business is if, if you don't know what you're doing make sure that somebody along the way is involved with you that knows what they're doing or else you're going to crash and burn incredibly fast and 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 i've put a lot of thought into that that's one of the reasons why i really like the franchise model right is where Mm -hmm. they provide training and support because i thought Mm -hmm. about the other day nicole and i were having a conversation we're like if we opened up a pizza shop you know i don't know the first thing when it comes to making pizza 
probably put pepperoni on. That's about it. (laughs) You know, what happens if, like, the pizza man doesn't show up for work one day? Like, do we... Do we close the doors? Like, what? I don't, you know, like, I I would need to know how to make pizza just in case somebody doesn't show up for work that day. And, right. you know, I think not enough people put thought into that. Like, well, yeah, because a lot of people get attracted by the, uh, you know, the, the absentee owner model, right? Where you just buy this business, it's going to pay you every single month and you don't have to do anything ever. And, the, you know, that's the thing, man. There's no such thing. There is no such thing as a completely absentee business. Uh, the closest thing to that is maybe like a wash interior, like your, you know, like your uncle owns. Um, and even then I can see, you know, from afar, he puts a lot of work into that. Mm. There's a lot of work going into to, you know, any business. And I think if anybody's looking at something absentee, you should really question your motive behind that. Because frankly, if you put some money into some stocks and pay attention to it, your returns can be astronomically higher than uh, any absentee business out there. And I think any absentee business that you look at eventually is going to go, uh, go negative on you if you don't pay attention to it. Mm. That's, that's powerful, man. So you move on from this coffee shop, right? You sell it, you get into the business brokering space. And, uh, I'm sure at the time that was like a whole new world for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I go back to go back to, you know, what I learned in college from that entrepreneurship program. But I think that's what made me a perfect candidate for selling businesses, because I mean, I know I know, I know what business owners go through. I can talk to talk because I've been there. Uh, you know, I, I've, so, I've I've sold a couple million dollar businesses at a really young age. And I think it was really only because uh, I could share a lot of the same experiences that other entrepreneurs had. Um, you know, I think if you look at it from the from the perspective of if, if you're an investor and then you become a real estate agent that works with investors, um, a lot of real estate agents don't understand all, everything that goes up until getting a house done or a flip done. Uh, you know, they can tell you, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z to make it sell fast, uh, but they don't understand what it takes to get to X, Y, Z. You know, the hardships that even just getting a good countertop guy uh, mm. can be, uh, the plumbing, permitting, all of that stuff. If you understand what goes into that and, and, and all the work behind that, it makes you a better realtor in the end. And I think that's what made me such a good business broker is because I understood, you know, when, when you're looking at a financial statement and I can, I can tell you, you, you give me a financial statement for a barbecue restaurant. I can tell you if your prices are too high or too low. I can t- tell you if your employees are stealing from you. I don't know the first thing about barbecue, mm-hmm. but I know how to look at a P and L and I know how to, I know how to evaluate that. And that's something you, you really don't get without experience. So, um, you know, selling other people's businesses, even though I had a, a limited background in, in personally owning a business, I had been through it. Uh, and that's what made me an excellent candidate for that. So I, I did that for a long time. And as, as part of that process to join on with that firm, uh, they required that you get a real estate license. Uh, not that I had sold a lot of real estate, even, even to date through that company. I haven't sold very much, but they want you to have that in case somebody comes along and they own the building and the business. Well, you know, we don't, we don't want them to go anywhere else. So we want them to list the, list the business and the real estate plus. So that, that's actually why I got my real estate license. And I had my license for many years uh, without ever doing a deal in it. Um, and I think it was, maybe it was Chris Funk who probably ultimately really got me into, into real estate because him and I had been friends since, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. 
but Chris called me one day and told me how he made like $25,000 in two days doing a contract assignment. I didn't even know what the hell that meant. Uh, I had made $25,000 checks through selling businesses, but it took me six, seven, eight months to get that. And Chris is doing it in three days. I'm like, what, what the hell? What the hell, Chris? What, why are you holding yeah. out on me? What are you doing, man? Talk to me. And I think that was the first time I learned about Rich Club and what contract assignments were and all of that stuff that, you know, you and I had done back in the day. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I, I think I had started to real time that maybe there was, maybe there's better money there. You know, maybe you can turn a lot of money quickly doing these shacks and doing this other stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, the whole time I continued to sell businesses, but I saw that there was really a big market out in real estate and you didn't have to be selling office buildings or strip centers to make a six figure paycheck. I mean, you can do that in one deal on a, on a small shitty house in the ghetto if you do it right. You could. I'm yeah. curious, Ryan, what's the biggest deal you ever closed as a business broker? So I have my biggest listing right now, which is a $10.5 million deal. Uh, the biggest deal that I've ever closed was a two point, I think it was $2.8 million. And it's a weird one. It was a balloon company. Uh, but they, uh, if you, I don't know if you've ever driven down the freeway and seen like one of those big gorilla balloons on top of a shopping center, yeah. you know, on top of a sprint store. It says, Hey, we're open. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was a balloon company like that, that, that went out and installed these huge balloons on shopping centers. Uh, and this man, this guy that started it, he was a real dick, but he was super sharp. Uh, he, 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 I guess his son wanted to go get a job and wanted to do something. And, and he decided for his son that he was going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't remember how they decided to do this, but they they flew to India together and they found a guy in India who made these giant balloons and did it like really, really, really cheap. And so he was he was effectively getting just just think about it. All these balloons are mostly more or less the same size, the ones that they put on top of these uh, retail centers. So he would he found a guy that would do it for, you know, give or take five thousand bucks to, to make this balloon, stitch it up, package it and ship it over. Uh, and they would buy like the, you know, the, the air filling devices and all of that stuff here, they would order it, but they would have this guy that in, in India that would specifically do the balloons. So they would rent these balloons. I think they got like 5,000 a month or 6,000 a month for these balloons to install wow. it, service it per month. So he would go put this balloon on here and he would get a month's rent plus a deposit up front. So with his first delivery, he paid off the balloon and he still had 5,000 bucks back. And most of the time people would rent these for three months, six months, whatever. So he was almost zero cost by the time. In fact, he had, had a small profit considering his deposit by the time that balloon was installed. And he was netting something, I don't know, something along the lines of like nine, 900,000, 920 net, net, net on his bottom line um, the, the year that we sold it. And it was him, his son, and like three balloon installers. It was a wild business. Wow. I mean, five, five, six people to generate Holy something smokes. like four or five million dollars in sales and almost a million dollars net per year. Right. Well, that was that was an amazing business. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be involved in that transaction. I think the I think that business is still around, but it's changed hands a couple of times into a, a like a bigger outdoor uh, outdoor media company bought it. Something like the the billboard companies that are around. But it's man, it's still wow. a big business. And it sold for almost three million. 2.8, I believe, was the final number when you consider all the deposits and the debt they took over and everything else. Holy smokes. What did this guy call up one day? He's like, hey, I, I want to sell my business kind of thing, or did you have to find him? 
So I was I was only on one side of this transaction. This is with the set. I was you know part of the same company that I mentioned earlier that I'm with. Um, somebody else brought that business to the market, and I connected the buyer with that seller. So mm. I, we don't really have buyers agents per se in the business brokerage space, um, but I, I I brought the buyer to the table and got you know effectively 25% of the total commission as a result. So it was a big it was a big deal for the company I worked for. They kept the other seventy five percent of that transaction because the uh, the listing agent was one of the owners. So they did they did a little better than me, but I was pretty young and pretty happy to get that check. But now, in twenty twenty, you have a ten and a half million dollar listing. Ten and a half million, yeah. It's Holy a large smokes. chain of medical clinics that are doing pretty well with everything going on. So. Uh, I don't know what the environment's going to look like. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of action on it yet, but wow. um, I'm excited. I think it'll sell at some point. That's a that's a big deal, man. That's, that's a, a that's deal. a that's a big deal. Nice, <laughs> man. Thanks. So, so I'm curious to know, Ryan. Over the last what 15, 20 years, or however long you've been in the game, what would you say has been the biggest challenge that you've ever had to overcome, like with everything that you have going on, real estate, business brokering, coffee shops, automotive stuff, computer stuff, like what's one of those like biggest challenges where you're like, oh shit, you know, what, 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 what am I, what am I going to do now? You know, I think, I think the biggest challenge for somebody like me, a lot, a lot of people tell me all the time, Ryan, you know, I want to be more like you. You've got your, you've got your toe dipped in about six different pools. Um, I guess what, what comes to fruition after long enough of being so spread out is that you're never really an expert at anything if you don't ever specialize in something. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm a jack of all trades. Uh, I'm not really an expert of any trade. And that's come to bite me in the butt a little bit with the changes in our economy and um, you know, positioning myself for the future. Uh, I mentioned to you kind of before we hopped on the call that uh, you know, I, I was building a lot of houses with a partner in that same neighborhood we talked about in 77009. And I think we must have done maybe 20 or so houses over you know, the last four years. Uh, but I don't have the cojones for it anymore. The market is, is skyrocketing. Um, from the news I'm reading, there's you know, mortgage delinquencies are backing up. And whenever you're out there spec building, you have to be able to sign, you know, sign your life away to a bank. You're personally guaranteeing everything. And if, if you don't have, you know, nuts of steel and you're willing to lose everything, sometimes you miss out. So I, I'm effectively missing out because I'm not willing to take that risk anymore. And because of what's going on in the economy, uh, a couple of my businesses will ultimately have to be shut down and I'm going to have to go reposition myself again for maybe the hundredth time in my life uh, to figure out something else to do. And I think I'm at, I'm at a point where I've decided that what I want to do is become the master of one trade. And that is probably more than likely going to be focusing back on commercial real estate full-time, strictly commercial real estate. Uh, that's where my heart is. That's what I enjoy doing. I think I could probably do that uh, for $30,000 a year and be happy with it. And that's how I know it's something I want to do. Cause I don't like being broke, mm. but I would, uh, I would still be broke to, to be able to do that. Lucky for me, commercial real estate, if you're good at it, is a very, very, very profitable business. So uh, even though I will probably be making some transitions into a different market, what I want to do is start selling bigger ticket items. Um, it's going to cost me in the short term because I don't have that audience right now. I don't have a, 
I don't have an audience to go to to buy a bunch of $10 million shopping centers. And that's really the market that I want to be in. So I've kind of kind of reinvent myself and find a new market that I want to be in and, you know, take a swing and see if I'm good at it. So that's really been my biggest challenge is, you know, staying diversified, but also being good enough at something that I, that I always have a fallback into one area that I know I'm never going to give up. And I think a lot of people out there probably sell themselves short that they're not doing a hundred other things. But I tell you what, man, being really, really, really good at one thing is still very, very important for everybody. And it's been maybe my I challenge agree. that I haven't been really, really, really good at one thing. Dude, I agree. I could relate to you, bro. Like I got the type of brain where when I lay down in bed, this thing is go, turns on into overdrive. That's right. And I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay. I have 15 hours tomorrow. I was uh, two hours doing this, three hours doing this. And I'm like, at the end of the day, man, I barely get anything done because I'm That's like right. focused on like all these different pots. And then I see these other companies, man, like, you know, your Ubers, your Airbnbs, your, your big companies. And it's like these people went all in on like this one thing. And it was, right. it was it, you know? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not I can't build a business that big if I'm focused on, you know, all these things, especially, I mean, you and I both know like buying houses, man, as a rehabber, it's like a full-time job, right? Essentially, it's a job, you know, if you don't go out and find houses, you're not going to buy anything. I mean, if you're not marketing, you're not buying anything. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's like finding how to delegate your time is difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, but, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what's what you're going to do, man. And, you know, how you're going to adjust. I think a lot of people too, Ryan, in the entrepreneurial space, man, is when they see somebody adjusting, they automatically think, you know, something's wrong or somebody's not doing, you know, their headspace. They're not in the right headspace. But the truth is, man, you have to adjust, right? Like not, nothing's going to stay the same forever. Like. There's nothing wrong with adjusting. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, maybe there's something wrong. But, you know, opportunity cost is something that every investor and every person that's worried about their money should be thinking about all the time. Mm. And, you know, I, I still think that there's a ton of money in going out and buying single family houses and rehabbing them and doing that. But, you know, at, at some point, I think everybody wants to graduate. And, you know, just because somebody's changing what they're doing doesn't really mean anything's wrong per se. But if they feel like they can be a better person in the long run by making that investment in themselves, well, there's something wrong. Right. And for me, I'm not making enough money and I'm not where I want to be with both my lifestyle and, you know, the zeros in the bank account. Mm. So I'm I'm saying, hey, there's something wrong. I'm going to fix this. And I identified a plan for how I'm going to fix it. And I'm executing it. Right. So. You're right. You know, I mean, I, I don't think anybody should think that there's something wrong because someone flips. But there's uh, there's definitely changes in the market and changes in our world every day. Right. Like shit. Six months ago, who would have thought we were we would be where we are with this coronavirus. And Tesla's at eighteen hundred and I sold at five hundred. What the fuck am I you doing? Sold at five hundred bucks. <laughs> sold at five hundred. Dude, yeah, no ago. way. What an idiot. What an idiot. I, I don't yeah. know, man, dude. A lot of people are talking about this electric car uh, bubble kind of. I don't know. Uh, I don't look into it enough, but man, some of this this growth, like it has to come back down. It has to. No? Am I wrong? I mean, I'm not I don't, a, I'm not I don't a know, man. Stock I, guy, 
but I don't know, man. I don't know. I, yeah, I wasn't into stocks until six months ago. And I guess that's what hmm. you, you wouldn't have been able to convince me a year ago. I was watching stocks today. So, but, you know. so at the time we're making this podcast and I, I'm going to come back to this next year, man, see where we're at. So Tesla is at almost $1,800. It's up 8% today. Just today. Just wow. today, dude. Mm, this company I missed out on, man. So you know the at home brand? Yeah. Dude, their stock took off like a fucking rocket. And I'm pissed because I used yeah. to shop at that store. <laughs> Dude, just last month or, or back in March, it was like three bucks a share. Now we're pushing almost 17 a share. Yeah. Imagine if you put a hundred grand into that. You like, know, that's that's wild. Could always go the other way, all right. Well, they, that's that's the thing, man. There's a lot of millionaires being made right now, but the smart ones get out while they're ahead, you know. Dude, the the the, the smart ones get out way before people start losing, right? Like uh, that's why they always say, like, don't emotionally trade. Because most people that don't know how to read charts, they'll get in at the top, and everyone's right. selling off, right? And then way back down. Uh, but yeah, man, stocks are fun, bro. Like. Stocks are fun, uh, especially like how easy it is nowadays. If you have some extra cash, I would recommend everybody just find a company that you like, buy it, forget about it. Just check back in a year, see what, see where you're at. That's right. You know, Ryan, I'm curious, man. Before we wrap up here, I'm I'm curious to know. And I like to ask all my uh, my guests this question: like, how do you spend your day, right? Obviously, with Corona and stuff, stuff has changed. But how do you fill your time being your own boss, being an entrepreneur? You know, I don't I don't really find too many challenges with filling my time. Um, there's almost always something that has to be done. And I think that's as a result of, of, of being so active in so many different industries and having several different businesses. Um, but for myself, you know, one of the most important things that I do, I think, almost daily is I keep a little piece of paper my desk um, and I break it down in half, fold the paper in half and I write on the left side everything that I need to get done immediately and stuff that I need a little bit more time to get done. So maybe my one week goal is off to the left and my one month goals are off to the right. And I think that that's what helps me be a, a really good steward of my time is I always have this piece of paper that's sitting on my desk that say, hey, these are all the things that you need to accomplish this week. And as soon as you're done with those, these are your uh, you know, I guess you call it bird's eye view or, you know, top of the ladder kind of decisions that things that I need to, to make time for or do, uh, but aren't the you know necessities uh, off to the left. I have stuff like, hey, I need to call the contractor and get, you know, the sink replaced over here. I need to get a water heater done here um, on the right is, hey, I need to improve my website. I need to add these features, you know, things things that aren't necessarily going to affect me immediately, but I know are long term goals. Uh, so, you know, I come in the office every morning, I'm either adding or removing from that list, but I'm knocking out all of the things that are important. So I never forget about anything. And I think I've been complimented uh, as an entrepreneur on that because I, I really don't forget about things very much. If they're important to me, I, I note them and I make sure they get accomplished. Mm. Um, so I think that's, you know, why I'm able to be up and be uh, productive every single day is because I, I weigh out my goals very clearly. Uh, I make sure that I know at the beginning of every day of every week, but I know everything that I need to get done and I do it. So, 
uh, I think being very clear with yourself and, and setting that goal and sticking to it of, hey, the, you know, these are action items in my business that are important. If you have that staring at you in the face literally every day when you sit down, you get them done mm. every time. I like it, man. Consistency, right? That's right. It's key. Now, do you allow yourself free time to kind of just do whatever you want and go do things and hobbies and stuff like that? Or are you more you like know, strict on yourself? When I'm pretty strict with myself. I mean, I think it's probably a weakness of mine that I don't turn the phone off and go sit somewhere uh, more often than I do. I think because I was involved in so much stuff, I didn't even really have that as an option up until recently. Um, I've had more than a few people tell me like, Hey, you're going to die pretty soon if you don't take a break. Uh, so I'm taking that to heart a little bit. I mean, uh, I had a daughter, uh, a little under two years ago and it's changed my life and that, you know, I don't, maybe this is a bad thing, but I don't really want to go anywhere or do anything besides spend time with her. Mm. Uh, so now I, I have a reason that, uh, you know, I need to get out of bed and handle everything effectively, but I have a reason to make time for myself. Because I, 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 I saw in my personal life, you know, with, with losing my dad a few years ago that, you know, this, this ride on earth is not forever. Uh, it's really not. You know, we have a limited time to do both uh, what we want to do in business and what we want to do with our personal life. And I, I think the lesson I learned from my dad's passing was that, you know, I, I, I need to make sure that I spend time with the people that I care about. And it's really easy to lose sight of that because you have all these business goals and you have these dreams of riches and wealth but at the end of the day you know what is what does it mean without family so mm. um I'm, I'm trying to spend more time at home and trying to spend more time i think my hobby probably is my daughter uh, i probably could use another hobby on top of that but uh, up until recently i you know i didn't even allow myself the chance for that and now i'm, I mean, I'm, hey, I'm bro, making sure that i do you find yourself at all the carnivals and disney worlds and stuff uh soon right yeah years. yeah we're almost there she's yeah. she's pretty close to walking i mean i'm i'm being a little light with that because i gotta carry her around everywhere but as soon <laughs> as she starts walking we're gonna be going a lot more places heck yeah man now ryan i asked every guest on the question the same show uh on the show every episode i said that weird i asked every guest the same question i like to extend that to you man if that's okay sure in Shoot. your entire life so far what has been the absolute best advice that you've ever received the best advice I've ever received. That's a tough one, man. Um, I don't know that I have any particular advice that I've ever received, but I'll give, I'll give this one to my mom. My mom taught me how to be frugal. And she told me when I was very, very young, not to be ashamed of it. No matter what anybody told you, being frugal is not a bad thing. Some people might tell me that being cheap is a bad thing. And I guess I, I agree with that to some extent, but I think the number one reason that I am where I am and a lot of my peers aren't where they want to be is that I took that to heart at a young age and I save, 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 save as much as I can. I probably save more than I should now. Um, I buy cheap things that I shouldn't buy. I should probably buy the nicer soap and the nicer shampoo and the nicer products for my life. But my mom teaching me to be frugal and to, to really, appreciate it has changed my life to I don't even know what measure because frankly when I was 30 years old I probably I probably could have retired when I'm 30 I could retire today and not that I have millions of dollars in a bank account anywhere but I've set my life up so that I don't need very much money to survive and I'm lucky enough to have all the rentals I have right now and I don't need anything more than that to survive 
Uh, mm. So, you know, if, if I lose all of my limbs tomorrow and I can't do anything and I can't leave my house, my family's going to be taken care of. And that's a result of, I think, being prudent with my money and always having my mom's voice in the back of my head that said, hey, you know, that money's important and, and be a wise steward of it. So I think that's probably, I guess that's advice. That's probably the best advice I ever got. Dude, I, I love that, man. I love that because so many people, man, they just they just burn their money like it's like, like, dude, I cannot go to a place without checking retail me not first. I'm that yeah. guy too. <laughs> like, yeah. if we go to Jersey Mike's, I see people paying for two subs. Meanwhile, online they have buy one get one free. You know, yeah. I'm that guy, yeah. man. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing wrong with that, bro. That's hey, like that's, finding that's eight good. bucks on the ground. I'm with you. Yeah, bro. <laughs> you know, the other day I went into uh, Michael's Crafts, man. They got the 50% off coupon online. That's right. Who's going to say no to that, right? You know, you got you to gotta be smart with your finances, right? You have to be smart. And I love that advice. And with that being said, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your that's story. Right. And uh, we'll catch up soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Take man. Take care, brother. All right, all right, my friends. And that wraps up episode 38. Huge thank you to Ryan for stopping by and sharing his story with us. And, of course, a major thank you to all the listeners, whether you're here listening on iTunes, Spotify, or over on YouTube watching the video version. I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Now, we're going to keep the content rolling, tons of new content on the way, so make sure to subscribe to the show, give us a like, and I'll see you in the next one. Take care.